experience Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania in 3D. Scott Lang, you have a daughter. You're an Avenger. But out here, you're out of your league. On February 17th. Kang's a monster. He can shatter existence. An Avenger. I don't care what he can do. I'm getting us home. Must face a conqueror. You may not want her to watch this. <laughs> I'm sorry, Cassie. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Experience it in 3D. February 17th. Rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. Hi, and welcome to Deep Dive with Jamie Stein, where we take a deep dive look at all things reality TV, pop culture, and the world at large. I'm an intuitive and an empath, which means I pick up on the thoughts, feelings, and energy percolating in other people in the world around me. I believe there is meaning waiting to be found at every turn, if you're willing to see it. So join me as we dismantle everything from trash TV to high spiritual concepts and learn more about ourselves, each other, and how we're all connected. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the latest episode of Deep Dive with Jamie Stein. I am coming to you today from Pioneer Town, California, surrounded by vast vistas of desert and uh, feeling refreshed and rejuvenated. And I am so excited to be joined today by my friend and fellow podcaster, whom I feel a lot of you probably already know. Probably a lot of you actually found me through her, Jess Rothschild, host of the podcast Hot Takes and Deep Dives. Hello, Jess. Hey, Jamie. How are you today? I am ready for this. <laughs> we've, I feel like this is a marathon that we've been training for for about nine months. You mean just in terms of planning this episode or just that it's been in the... Yes. Okay, yeah. No, it's true. It's, it's, it's <laughs> been mean, on... It started out as one thing and it is permutated into... It's, it's a beast. <laughs> but like all things that take their time, the timing actually turned out to be perfect because as... As we know, this is going to be an episode where we're going to basically kind of do a little bit of a deep dive of Bethany Frankel. And in particular, you're someone who I know has historically been a big fan of Bethany Frankel. So when I first came to you, it was with this idea of like, I'd love to explore with you what it is it means to be a Bethany stan. I'm always really fascinated by the housewives or the Bravo liberties that certain people gravitate towards and why I certainly have my own favorites. And so Bethany for me is just someone who, um, you know, I've never loved her or hated her. You know, she, there are things I like about her. There are things that I appreciate less about her, but I know that she inspires like in a lot of people, almost a rabid fandom. So I just thought it'd be fun to check in with you about um, your particular flavor of Bethany fandom and see where that wants to take us. So that was the original impulse, but it's so appropriate because as you know, and as I'm sure most of the listeners know, we've just wrapped up Bethany's latest reality show, Big The Big Shot with Bethany. So, you know, what what more fertile a time to be jumping into this topic, right? Absolutely. This has been the greatest. I mean, I think the show really was only on the air for like three and a half weeks, but since Summer House ended, this thing has kept me alive. This yeah. has been a lifeline for they, the past three weeks. They definitely rolled out the episodes uh, fast and furious. I'm not sure why. I have heard it actually did well. So I don't know why they kind of dumped all the episodes on us at once. I mean, part of me was thrilled by it. because I mean, we'll get there. 
I was truly enthralled by the the insanity of this show, but it, it was much like Bethany herself. It was a fast, furious race to the finish, and it was like a cyclone that overtook the living room, and then it was sort of over before you even knew it, and now here we are. But yeah, we'll get yeah. there. Cool. One of the reasons why I'm really excited about having you on, though, um, in particular, is that we met a few years ago because you actually well you actually went onto youtube appropriately enough looking for content related to bethany and carol right yes and it's so funny because i'm actually barely on youtube so you found like one of the only youtube videos that i actually kind of uploaded and then you booked a session with me this was like three years ago it was your video yes it was the because this this was squarely right as season 10 was winding down so yes of course and i was there's not been a storyline I've been captivated more by than the Bethany and Carol friendship, the dissolution of that friendship. So that was legit how I found you. It was not through another podcast venue. And then immediately after that video, I saw your one on Erica Jane. I think it was like Erica Jane versus Teddy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I watched those back to back and I was like, this is my soulmate. <laughs> And <laughs> so I booked a session with you. Well, and what's so cool about that is you shared with me later, and we've actually never really talked about this, so I don't know if you even remember this or if you have anything to say about this now, but I remember later, after you had started your podcast, when we reconnected, you actually shared with me that you had felt the reading, the original reading that we had had, had actually opened something up creatively in you, and that was sort of in part what inspired you to create a podcast in the first place. That is accurate. Yes. It's crazy. Yeah. I had not, there was not even the tiniest aspiration to start a podcast at the time that you and I first met in our first like real session of work. I had no idea that I was going to start. I was a big podcast fan, but that's sort of where it started. I'm sorry. That that's, that's where it ended. I remember during that time, I think I was at a point where I was in between bursts of inspiration. And I, I at that point, I didn't have a real true creative outlet. Yeah, I think I was talking about the fact that I felt like I was at a creative low point because I didn't have an outlet. And then this is sort of the latest iteration of it. Mm -hmm. But it did come to fruit. Like the thing that I was looking for, I certainly didn't think it would be this, but it, you know. And what's so cool about it then is that you then started, like you said, you started a podcast that then kind of ultimately led to the podcast you're doing now and then brought me on to that podcast, right, where I've guested several times. And it's just so interesting because through podcast appearances on your pod and also other podcasts as well, though, that is in large part what motivated and inspired me to start my own podcast. And you actually, you know, you've been a huge help to me. You've just in terms of like advice of getting it started and even just, you know, you hop on Zoom calls with me to help me with the technical <laughs> stuff. So it's just, and now here you are as a guest on my podcast. So I just, I, to me, it's just it's kind the, of, it's the, it's the circle of life, baby. It truly is. It's like <laughs> circles upon circles upon circles. And, it, and, yeah. and it's amazing to me how it all just kind of stemmed from you going on YouTube, looking up these videos, then following your impulse to book a reading. And now here we are. Well, I'm actually going to take it one step further. Okay. The reason the, the initial reason, okay. You may even say, well, Jess, like, where did this come from? Like, Okay, you got to a point where all of a sudden you were 
searching in YouTube, Bethany versus Carol, I don't think you know this. Bethany was my entry point to Housewives. Oh, so she's what got you into it in the first place. I was never a Housewives fan ever. And my ex was a huge Housewives fan and she would always have Orange County and Beverly Hills like on the DVR. And I would go so far, it would be eating up like space on the DVR. I would go so far as to delete episodes because it, it was taking away room from like I was at the time, I think I was DVRing like Breaking Bad and Lost, like whatever what the hell was on. And she'd be like, what do you do? I'm like, you never even watch these episodes, but she did love the housewives. And very early on in our relationship, we went on like a family vacation. We were visiting her family in Arizona. And one night, you know, we're looking for something to put on TV. Do you know what gets put on TV? Bethany ever after a live new episode of Bethany Ever After. Now, I had known who Bethany was, of course, because, like, Skinny Girl was a thing, and my ex actually used to drink. This was, like, before Skinny Girl was, like, totally revolting, and, like, people actually, they had it in liquor stores, and, like, people, I think, would buy it, and she loved Bethany, and I remember, like, we would go to the beach, and she, like, would grab a bottle, because it was so easy to just, like, drink that on the beach. In retrospect, totally revolting. And I remember drinking it and I was like, this tastes like shit. Like, I remember just being like, I can't believe you're drinking this. But the point is when her family put on this new episode that was currently airing of Bethany Ever After, I immediately was like, oh, this I can get into. It was an immediate uh, recognition that like, oh, like this is my person. Like I, this is easy entry point for me. And we came home from the trip And I was like, okay, so tell me about Bethany. Like, if I want to see more, you know, what should I do? And she's like, you need to watch The Real Housewives of New York. Start from the beginning. She's like, you know, that was when she, you know, introduced me to Jill Zarin. I always knew the name Jill Zarin because she would reference Jill a lot. And I was like, okay, wait, so who's Jill Zarin? And she's like, oh, yeah. She's like, that was Bethany's best friend. She's like, they had a huge falling out. And I was like, why? Like, I immediately, without even seeing these people on TV, I was immediately hooked into the drama just by her telling me. And she was like, you need to sit down and watch. And I started from the beginning and it took, you know, however many weeks. And then the news broke that Bethany was coming back to Housewives. Now I'm all caught up. And that's when I became a true Real Housewives of New York fan was when Bethany came back. All right. Well, so then let me ask you, since we're jumping right into it, when you go back, I mean, can you identify what exactly it was in Bethany on Bethany Ever After that spoke to you so deeply and made you feel like, okay, this woman is my person and I need and want to see more of her? I just loved her personality. I thought she was hilarious. I mean, I think the reasons why most people like Bethany, her personality, her sense of humor, she was quick, smart, funny, New York based. And maybe I saw a little bit of myself in her just I could see how type a she was and I think I saw a little bit of myself like reflected on the screen in this really humorous way that it was just the easiest thing to to like glom onto 
And it's never, I have never felt like, oh, get Bethany off the screen. Like, no, like I'm figuring out ways to get Bethany back on my screen. <laughs> well, it's just, it's interesting to me because I feel like most people started out with Bethany on Roni and liked her very much because she was an underdog. Because she was the underdog at first, right? Amongst all those Upper East Side married wealthy women. And she was kind of the Greek chorus and the voice of reason in those early years before, you know, she reached her own height of success. And so what I also think is interesting, though, is like, I mean, I actually didn't watch Bethany ever after at the time it aired. I've never watched a Housewives spinoff. Um, but I did, as you know, I went and watched some Bethany Ever Afters in preparation for this. But I do remember that Bethany Ever After, that was kind of like the first rumblings, I think, of when there started to be a little bit of a turning of the tide where people were seeing more of her mania. They felt that, you know, in a lot of ways, she was uh, kind of unfair with Jason. Yeah, once she grew out of the underdog phase and was more in her own starring vehicle and we did have more of an opportunity just to see the chaos that is Bethany, I think that's where some people started to get a bit disillusioned. And so what I love about what you're saying is that was actually your entry point. And that was the place where you were like, I'm responding to this. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then I would later go back and watch all of Bethany getting married. Like I immediately like was hooked into Housewives. So it's not like I was like, oh, let me watch the rest of Bethany ever after. It was like, I need to see from the very beginning, like where did this woman come from? And then eventually I would revisit Bethany getting married and the two seasons of Bethany ever after never watched her talk show, just the clips that are on YouTube. And so what was your experience going back and then seeing her origin story? Do you remember having a specific experience of that? Was there anything that stood out to you about that or? I mean, it's exhilarating. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Say more. I I just really, really loved her friendship with Jill. I really identified with both of them because they're so now listen Bethany doesn't identify as a a religion one way or another but to any Long Island Jew like myself like Bethany and Jill are the epitome of what a Long Island Jew is and so I think I just really saw myself and saw maybe even like glimpses of my mom in these people. I think I saw my mom in Jill Zarin and it just, it felt so familiar to me, both of them, like this codependent friendship. Like I've had a lot of friendships like that. It just felt so amazing to see it play out. It was, it was that in part because you felt like there hadn't been that kind of representation on your TV before. Maybe. I mean, of course there has been, but not like this, not mm-hmm. in like a reality TV right. way. Like there was nothing like this, like on the real world. Like I grew up loving the real world. I've always loved reality TV, but now nothing comes close to seeing Bethany and Jill bantering in the pool, like in, in the, the opening, you know, one of the, uh, I think it was like the season two premiere where they're talking about Kelly Ben Simone. And it's like literally a scene about nothing. It's a scene that would never even make it to air 
now. And it's oh, just I the know. two of them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I, no, you're bringing me back because I remember that season, season two of New York. That was right when I was getting into Housewives for the first time. I remember, I, God, I remember my apartment at the time in Koreatown. And I remember the promo on Bravo. Like, remember that old announcer guy they used to have? I don't think they use him anymore. Yeah. But he literally, because that was the same episode, I think, where there was some like tete-a-tete where... Jill had made a comment about Alex and Simon in page six and Alex was pissed about it. And the announcer in the promo for it. No, no, it was, it was, it was vice versa. Okay. They both, they each had said, Simon had said, Jill is from Long Island and it shows. Okay. And then she rebutted. Yeah. Which is code for she's a Long Island Jew. (laughs) You know, that's, that's what he's saying. Like an obnoxious Long Island Jew. It's what he, that's literally what he's saying. But what's so funny about that is the promo for that episode, the announcer said biggest cat fight in housewives history, which literally it was Jill in her, in her kitchen reading page six (laughs) and calling Alex and being, Hey, this isn't cool. And they have kind of a tense moment. And so you just think about that now, right? Like the idea that that was the biggest cat fight in housewives history. And it's like, Oh, the road that we have walked since then. The episode opens and it's Bethany and Jill at Jill's kitchen table in the Hamptons and page six is, is spread open. And Bethany says, what did you do now? And Jill's like, uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> like, it's just like so great. Well, and I think as you're speaking, what kind of occurs to me about both of them, and I think this is part of the tragedy in both, I would say, their friendship, but also kind of in their individual lives, is I think they are two women who really do have very big hearts. And I think they both have a lot of love to give, and they both just get in their own way. So deeply time and time again and i think the thing they have in common is a lot of it is really rooted even though they wear it differently differently and i think it's two very different flavors i think you know they're both very driven for their you know their desire for success for fame you know just playing the whole kind of social politics of everything and i think that's where you just like i said you see them get in their own way and obviously it came hugely in the middle of their friendship you know like the thing so much of what bound them together is ultimately what tore them apart well i think what bound them together was the fact that they were a success on the reality show at the end of the day like i do think that's what bound them together they knew that they were a dynamic duo and initially the the breakup of their friendship was i think they were trying to play out a storyline but then it backfired in jill's face well that's what jill claims yeah, that she sort of overplayed her hand and Bethany was like, no, I'm like, actually, like, we're actually not friends anymore. I mean, I never believed this story that there was some plan for them to, uh, you know, have a falling out. I mean, to me, it really seemed like Bethany was truly taken aback. Like, it seemed to me pretty straightforward that Jill was, in fact, you know, really envious of the success that Bethany was having and that she really did set out to basically take Bethany down on camera and she was playing she was playing a pretty mean game and I think it really took Bethany by surprise yeah Jill would call the Today Show and ask because I think they were having Bethany on as like a guest co or maybe just like as a guest and she called the Today Show and asked 
why isn't it both of us? Mm-hmm. I feel like their relationship sort of checked all the boxes. You know, I think there's a way in which Jill does like to, or at least in the case of Bethany, I think she liked playing the role of the mother hen and that Bethany was the underdog who, you know, she got to take in. I think that sort of spoke to her ego. And I think there was a part of Bethany that liked being taken in, you know, because it gave her the sense of family. And then I think, yeah, there was this way in which they really kind of connected both, like you're saying, in their kind of no-nonsense, old-school New Yorker sensibility, kind of seeing what's going on around them, and also, you know, really connected in their just total obsession with the fame. And so then, like you said, you bring in them being fan favorites, and it, it makes sense, though, right? It's like once that dynamic starts to shift, a.k.a. Bethany starts to rise out of the underdog role, it's going to rock the boat a bit, you know? And I think in any relationship, once the boat starts getting rocked, you kind of have two choices. You know, you can either double down uh, and sort of fight for control and sort of maybe take the ship down with you, which is what Jill did, or you can course correct and adjust to the new reality, which is not what happened at all. (laughs) What is it in you that, Like, where did our experiences differ? Like, why were you not as connected to Bethany as maybe, like, the average Real Housewives of New York fan? Like, why was she just another housewife to you? From the beginning or getting into her return? Because I also want to talk to you about her return. Because those are two different Bethanys to me. Well, then I guess we'll we'll start with the beginning since we're talking about the beginning now. I mean, it's a really good question. I mean, I remember watching it. She made me laugh. You know, I found her funny. I found her relatable. I rooted for her. I was on her quote unquote side in season three. Enjoy seeing her on the screen. I think with Bethany, one of the things that I was always put off from from the beginning was what I experienced as her self obsession. She definitely got a lot of mileage out of her role as the underdog. And I think there was something, I guess, you know, I, I don't know how conscious I was of it, but now that I'm talking through this with you, I think I did, even in those early days, pick up on those threads where it just felt like there was a way in which she was kind of, it's like she both was really getting so much mileage out of being the poor underdog who couldn't afford anything and wasn't treated well. But in that same place, she sort of held herself above the other woman a bit. It reminds me too, I spoke a little bit about this in one of my Instagram videos, but like Jackie, for example, in New Jersey, I really felt how much mileage she got out of being the victim in the first half of the season. And and it's not that Teresa didn't do some crazy shit that Jackie had every right to be upset about, but I could feel the place where she was taking so much pleasure in being victimized. And that's such a turnoff to me that it almost like sends me, you know, to not, I'm not really on Teresa's side. And I think it was sort of a, a less severe version of that with Bethany, where it was just like, you, you seem to get so much mileage out of the sob story. And it also feels a little bit disingenuous because underneath that, you somehow feel like you're above these women. And, and I mean, I think this actually speaks to kind of a deeper, more interesting issue in Bethany herself, which is, which is what I experience as a very conflicted relationship with the housewives because she both, I think she needs it and loves it and she hates it and resents it. I think she doesn't want to yes. need it for her success. I think, you know, I don't think she... I don't think she wants to need it for her success. And yet she, she did need it for her success. And so I just feel that kind of like inner conflict in her where it's like, she's kind of a part of something 
kind of wallowing in a certain role she plays, but then also holding herself above it. Like, I don't like it when Lisa Vanderpump does it. I don't like it when Bethany does it. And yes, it's two very different shades, but I think I felt a little bit about a little bit of that in her. It's like, I want my housewives to be in the mix and I don't want them to be too good for the show. And I also don't want them. I don't know. I want them owning their power, even if it's misguided. Like that's kind of why I can have a soft spot for Ramona. Cause I can just look at her and be like, look, you might be deluded, but Ramona's never, I mean, she kind of victimizes herself when she gets caught, like doing naughty things. But by and large, Ramona's just kind of like, I'm living out loud. I'm not apologizing for who I am. I have insanely strong boundaries. I ask for what I want. I'm living life. And even if it's a total delusion, to me, there's just something sort of likable and engaging about that as opposed to, you know, what I kind of experience as the weary, dreary, oh, you know, woe is me. I was raised by wolves. I'm so poor. No one gets me. Oh, secretly, I'm better than all you motherfuckers. (laughs) I don't like that. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. As you were talking, I I, I thought when you were saying like, what connected you to Bethany so strongly? I think also... A huge piece in it, something that I look for in my housewives, like I love the housewives who I can tell are extremely smart. Mm -hmm. And I think with Bethany, she's clearly the smartest one, you know, especially in that that initial crop. And I think when Dorinda came on the scene, she immediately sensed that Dorinda was on her level intellectually and she had immediate respect for Dorinda. I remember there was maybe like two or three episodes in. Oh, it was the Atlantic City trip in season seven. I remember her saying to Dorinda, I respect you. Like, I remember her saying that. And I remember being really struck by like, oh, like Bethany really sees something in Dorinda. Like, and I sense that too. Like, that's the reason that I love Dorinda. Because these women are very intelligent. Like, they're both street smart and they're intellectually smart. And though I would say at the same time, I agree with you. And I also feel like Bethany then totally overestimates her intelligence (laughs) at the same time. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm kind of fast forwarding now to Big Shot with Bethany where it's just, I think she really holds and regards herself as this brilliant, brilliant business visionary now don't get me wrong she's created amazing success she is very smart she is very powerful and she is very savvy do i personally think she's on the level of a martha stewart or an oprah no i don't you know i don't think she has that level of vision i don't think she has that level of discipline i don't think she has that level of artistry and i think it drives her crazy on some level because i think she wants to be that and on some level i think she knows she's not but then she inflates herself in her own mind Mm -hmm. to be that so to that end she gave a quote to us weekly this was before the show started airing this is when she was initially promoting it she said quote this is the biggest show with the biggest budget with the biggest partners and the greatest streamer so the stakes are very high but it's too good a show it's too big to fail this was big show with bethany It's insane. I mean, she's, you know, I was thinking about this before this episode. There are ways in which she's very Trumpian. You know, she's got that kind of style of, I mean, that what you just said is very, very Trumpian. This is the biggest show 
We got the biggest stars. We got the biggest budget. It's going to be huge. There's no way it's going (laughs) to fail. I mean, that's very, very Trumpian. Yeah, and so that's kind of what I'm speaking to. I mean, she's a legend in her own mind, and I do find that exhausting. And I, But the thing is, this is sort of going back to your question about why I sometimes get um, – I feel a distance from her. I Part of me does really like her. And so I see what you see. I see her intelligence. I, and honestly, what I, what, I, what I want to say I've really seen her and what I've always seen in her and why I've never been surprised by the Be Strong stuff. I know a lot of people were surprised by that. I was never surprised by that because what I've always felt in her is her heart. Like, I think that she has a really big heart. I think she's a lot of love to give. I actually think she really cares about people. I mean, I think it gets filtered through like what I kind of experience as her total self-involvement. But it's like, so in that place where I sense this powerful, dynamic, fun, savvy woman. And then it's just like, oh my God, she makes herself this legend in her own mind where she takes herself so seriously and she creates this cyclone. If I had to kind of act out or embody my relationship to her, it's like, oh, I'm kind of excited by this this woman named Bethany. I'm kind of drawn in by her energy. And then it's like I get closer to the mirror or to the glass. And then I'm just like, oh. I'm exhausted. And now I'm disappointed because it's like, I wanted to like you. Like, why couldn't you have just been normal? Like, why did you, why did that, why did this have to become the three ring Bethany circus, the biggest circus in the world with all the attractions? And it's going to, you know, it's going to be mind blowing. It's like, why couldn't you have just been Bethany? And why couldn't we have connected? And I think I'm kind of speaking to something. I think there's a part of her that's absolutely terrified of, of genuine connection. Really? Yeah, I, I just mean, is mm-hmm. is that what you attribute her, her her seemingly lack of ability to hold on to friends, which which really is which she really does get a bad rap for because there were people present in this big shot with Bethany finale that like there was that guy Jake Spitz who was like her main gay on um Bethany Ever After and Bethany getting married he's also friends with Dorinda and all these other people I saw him in the crowd at her 50th birthday and a few other women that I remember her doing scenes with way back on Roni like early seasons of Roni so she does have this reputation that she can't hold a friendship but it's not quite 100 percent accurate i mean i don't fault her for the fact that she's had falling outs i mean look you follow anyone for any period of time you know friendships come and go and people change and you know we have conflicts so no i've never really sort of bought into the idea that like oh you know any housewife who's been had a long tenure on the show has gone through many friendships that's just what happens and that's part of what makes it dynamic television and it's why we watch so no i don't hold that against her at all i mean i would say more in terms well certainly her romantic relationships and i would also say in relationship to her work um i just i experience her as someone who has a ton of fear um a ton of terror um which to me makes sense i mean if you really kind of want me to go in, uh, you know, she's she's talked a lot about her upbringing. And I do get the feeling with her. I mean, it sounds like it was very unstable. And she's someone who, when I kind of feel her on a deeper level, it, it, it really feels like there was some really early, early wounding there. Like, I'm talking, I mean, maybe even prenatal, but I'm talking infancy. Mm. Kind of a feeling as, like, I'm baby Bethany, and I'm looking around, and the world, my home, my family does not feel stable. Like, it feels, it really feels like terror, kind of in my heart, and kind of like, um, yeah, like, sort of a fundamental fear around kind of safety, and almost, I want to say survival. 
Um, I, I do feel like she carries that level of terror in her system from a really early age. And so for me, like with her work, for example, I think she's someone who is addicted to the ride. You know, someone insta- direct messaged me on Instagram with a question about Bethany, actually. And they were saying, you know, like she, she talks about how she just wants to get off the ride, but then she doesn't get off the ride, which I thought was interesting. And it's like, yeah, I think she's completely addicted to the ride to me it's her form of control i I always experience her as like white knuckling her way through life and i think you saw that on big shot with bethany it's like i've got skinny girl and it's this brand and it's that brand and it's this platform and it's that platform and it's there's just kind of like a disorganized chaos just the way i mean we've watched her evolution right from for so long and this is why i'm saying like i right now I don't see her as like a Martha Stewart or as an Oprah because those are two women to me and like so many entrepreneurs who have like a very clear streamlined vision that they're moving toward. Yes, it evolves, but there's like a spine throughout the entire enterprise. Bethany was like once a vegan chef, she was health food conscious, then it became an alcohol line, then it became popcorn, then it became shapewear. It just feels like she's constantly scrambling for the next thing and it's it is it feels like this addiction to the chaos of the ride and if the the ride were to stop and if she were to like have clarity and kind of refinement in her life in space i think she'd have to feel all that fear that she doesn't want to have to feel question for you yeah the megan markle thing with that tweet she put out about megan markle before the oprah interview aired essentially she put out a tweet saying like like that yeah, essentially saying like, oh, you had to leave the royal family, sort of like boohoo, yeah. uh, not understanding what Meghan Markle had, a, what she had to deal with being in the royal family, growing up biracial, all of these different things, like not knowing the the experience of this woman. When I read that tweet, what I see in it is why wasn't it me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. She wants the interview with Oprah for sure. And not even that. Beyond that, more so, like, why didn't a Prince Harry find me? Right. Because both of them were actresses in L.A., cocktail waitressing, doing the whole thing, just waiting for the rich guy to come along. And Bethany always dated rich men. And Meghan, listen, it's a different generation. Bethany was there 15 years earlier than Meghan Markle. But I, I definitely sense this why wasn't it me? Like, why didn't I get the guy and then go on to the royal family or, you know, the version of that that Bethany wanted in her head? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's all of it. I mean, it's like, it is, I mean, for me, part of it is the interview with Oprah. It's like, why are I getting the interview with Oprah? But, you know, speaking to like, uh, your point and kind of the bigger issue, it's, there's a lot of interest Right. And Meghan Markle and her story and understanding her and what she has to say. And so, yeah, I agree with you. I hear the exact same thing. It's like, why isn't it me? Why aren't people interested in what I have to say? And then I think, yeah, as I say this, I'm agreeing with you. What comes to me intuitively is this feeling in Bethany of like, I had to fight so hard for what I've got. And this woman just sort of gets it handed to her. Like, what does she have to complain about? Um, and interest in her story. Cause I feel like Bethany's always wanting people to hear her story. And she was raised by wolves and to understand how bad she had it. So to see someone else who she perceives as having had kind of like a cakewalk to the top and then everyone's so interested in her story. And then she gets the interview with Oprah. I mean, I just, I hear the voice literally in me right now. It's like, where's my interview with Oprah? Like, why don't people want to hear what I have to say? 
I think there's a lot of, yeah, like you're saying, kind of jealousy and resentment there for sure. You know, and this is sort of where she loses me. It's It really does feel like almost what I would call, I mean, this feels a little patronizing, but almost like this immature, like this, this desire for fame for fame's sake. It, she's so interesting because she is smart and accomplished and she's a successful entrepreneur and she's got the success. But then there's this other part of her that truly is, and I'm just going to use the language of, you know, of the kids these days. She's like a fame whore. She's obsessed with the fame for fame's sake. And I think that's part of why she can't stay away from the Real Housewives in New York City. It's like she's obsessed with it. And I could feel it when she left the second time. I could just feel the part of her that wanted the show to fail without her. You know, it's just like there's part of her that's obsessed with the fame. And I do think it is this kind of this, this is the reason why I use the word immature. It's this young place in her. That I just think it's like I want what I want. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I want it all. Like mine, 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 mine. Because she does come off as so self-involved and like that she literally views everything through this prism of just how it relates to me, myself. Like even when she's helping people, it's kind of like um, I'm helping you and this is what I know and I'm offering my wisdom and I've always kind of felt like that, too, almost feels like her way of exercising some control in a world that feels really unstable. Like, if she weren't seeing the world through a prism of how everything relates to her, almost like that she would feel totally adrift and lost at sea in a world that just feels unpredictable and chaotic. And so that there is a feeling of kind of safety and control that she gets from like just kind of having this tunnel vision of it's all about me. It's all about me. How does it relate to me? How does it connect to me? She does. She just, she always feels like a very scared little girl to me. That's really what I feel. Even when I say that, it's like I suddenly, you guys can't see me at home, but my my hand moves to my heart and my heart tenses up. It just feels like for her, it's so scary. The idea of slowing down, being still, having space, breathing, and letting energy move through her heart and like feeling her own love really for herself and for others, it just feels like it's unsafe. Like I'm not safe. I'm not safe. So I'm just going to hold my breath. I'm going to white knuckle. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be in a ton of chaos. Give me the fame. Give me the money. Let me keep going. I don't care what it is. It's popcorn. It's shapewear. It's croutons. It's whatever the F. Being a Bethany fan, the experience is a lot like being a huge Madonna fan. It's a constant tug of war between brilliance and complete embarrassment. And Madonna is my number, you know, that is who I, you know, grew up loving. And she is my, you know, the number one pop cultural influence on my life. And there are so many parallels. I mean, Madonna's on another level, but still Madonna can't let go of the fame. I mean, Madonna is much more evolved yeah. than Bethany, you know, but. Although Bethany but, would think she's on par with Madonna. <laughs> that, oh yeah. Remember, remember when she, remember when she said on the reunion to, to Luann, Madonna, Madonna's my neighbor. Right. I, I, we never, yeah, remember when she said that. But what's so, I mean, she I, literally is, but you know. Bethany's just so interesting because it's, She's so interesting because she's not at the level of Madonna, and yet somehow she has weaseled her way into the world of Madonna. Like, she is neighbors with Madonna. And I, I, I do find that part of her so interesting, that through her scrappy self-will and her pluck, I mean, it's just like we were saying, Big Shot with Bethany apparently is a success. Now, we haven't gotten the specifics of that show, but it's a total 
mess and a clusterfuck. Again, I love it. Totally entertaining. But it's like somehow there's a magic in her chaos. Mm -hmm. Yes. Bethany is scrappy and all of that. But Bethany's not an artist. There are business people who are also artists. Like they can, the thing they create is beautiful and inspirational. Skinny girl scala dressing is not beautiful. Skinny girl is not a beautiful piece of art. She got lucky. That Exactly. I agree with timing, luck combined with, yes, you know, she's smart. She's savvy. But absolutely. And, at the, and also, at, also at the end of the day, I walked away from Big Shot with Bethany thinking, yes, she's completely delusional, thinking she's got all these categories. Babe, it's a licensing deal. You just slap your sticker, your skinny girl sticker on deli meat, uh, shapewear, whatever. She's not creating these products these things already exist and she's just sticking her her logo on it well can we also just talk about the fact i still don't know what a vice president of operations is i've watched the entire show i still don't know what this person's going to be doing at her company and and i feel like part of the insanity of the show was there were all these tasks and bethany would literally say every episode well you know the vice president of operations this is not anything they would ever actually do but i just kind of want to see how they would so i'm just sort of sitting there like you guys never defined what this role was i have no idea what this person's being hired for they're doing tasks that apparently have nothing to do with their job and then on top of that i'm also sitting there like sitting back stroking my chin wondering why didn't you have a vice president of operations in the first place? Like if you are this big, important company with all these many different, you know, kind of iterations, what does it say about the way you've been running your business that there's this sort of vacant hole that apparently is insanely crucial to the success of your company? And it feels like you're actually just hiring another assistant. It's because she doesn't need a vice president of operations. The role that the role is unnecessary. My my ex was a VP of operations. Okay, so you know what it actually is. Operations has to do with it would be as if these actually were different brands, but they're not. It's a licensing deal. So therefore the entire idea and concept of VP of operations becomes inherently ridiculous. Like these aren't different brands. Bethany has one brand. Well, although it's it's Skinny Girl that she is now migrating or rebranding into the Bethany brand, which is like the Bethany eyewear and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, it, this is Bethany's got the easiest job on earth. Signs, piece of paper. Oh yeah, I'll put my. Uh, okay, I'm drinking out of a swell bottle right now. Do you know how easy it would be for this to be to become a Skinny Girl? bottle she signs the deal with the product the the company that makes this bottle and now she's in a new category sports drink bottles whatever the hell you would call this that's how easy it is she stepped in in shit it was luck she had a huge platform on the housewives goodbye and i say this as like her number one fan it was luck so basically she's just a super super elevated version of any housewife she's an elevated version of sonia morgan she, you know she's an elevated version of gretchen christine Bute. gretchen rossi on oc just ordered some of that makeup and put her name on it i mean that's basically what bethany is doing the difference is that, yes, the difference is that Bethany had the perseverance, the will, and the drive to actually make it happen, whereas Sonia Morgan doesn't. She's lazy. She She's not going to put in the work, the initial work, the initial work to create that skinny girl drink. That is That was the work. Well, and also I think – well, first of all, I'd actually – we're not doing a pod about Sonia Morgan, but I actually don't think she 
deep, I think consciously she wants to be successful. Unconsciously, I don't think she wants to be successful at all, but that's a whole other story. But um, yeah, this is sort of going back to the look. I mean, I think what Bethany did do, and I think this does speak to just the amazing timing and sort of the kismet of it all, is she did, you know, these are my words, stumble into creating this low calorie, like pre-made drink that was alcoholic drink that was marketed to women. And as she said, I'm big shout with Bethany that didn't really exist before she came along. That was the stroke of genius. And the fact that she actually got the thing made and was first. And then the fact that beam bought it for a hundred million dollars, whatever, that was the genius. Everything else is a mere licensing deal. And she can do literally laying by the pool signing a bunch of papers. This is why I say she's not a Martha Stewart or an Oprah because to me, those are artists. And I'm always saying this to my clients, business, that's creative energy. Like you're creating something and is an artistry. And with Bethany, do I ever feel a soul connection with what she's creating? No, absolutely not. It feels like, it just feels like success for the sake of success. It feels like business for the sake of business that she wants to believe is on the same level as that artistry. But really she's just a Jill of all trades, good at everything, great at nothing, kind of jack of all trades, master of none. Exactly. One small thing that, that we forgot to mention as far as her, the, the business and the artistry, I do actually believe she's an artist in one capacity. I think she's a great writer. Her book, a place of yes. Now listen, she could have had a ghostwriter. I'm sure she did. <laughs> Maybe I'm giving her too much credit. But the book, A Place of Yes, and the message behind A Place of Yes is amazing. And naturally, Thin is as well. And I wish that she would write more books. She hasn't written a book, a real book, in 10 years. I mean, I don't know how long ago A Place of Yes came out, but it's got to be about 10 years. I do think that there is artistic merit to those two pieces of work that she's put out so i will say that i've never i've never read her books i've actually i don't think i've read a single housewife book ever um you gotta you gotta read pretty mess really Mm -hmm. i'm kind of interested now just because of everything that's going on listen to the listen to the audio book it's great i mean my 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 whole thing with that is like do any of them (laughs) lead lives that are interesting enough to warrant reading a memoir i mean is her life that interesting i mean what am i going to read about her in atlanta like, it's a good book. I mean, it's an interesting yeah. read. Brian Moylan wrote it. Okay. I mean, I guess I just, I mean, it's like if it's between that, though, and like Demi Moore's memoir, I'd rather read about Demi uh, Moore. Well, I mean, now, yeah. <laughs> Why do you think she picked, because she could have picked anyone. She Apparently, she was dating A-Rod uh, shortly before she met Jason Hoppy. Why did she pick Jason Hoppy of... Out of if there was a lineup of ten guys, why was he the one? Well, look, I mean, part of their union was the fact that she got accidentally pregnant. I mean, she was dating him; it was going well, and then she got pregnant, right? And then he proposed to her, and it was kind of a whirlwind. So you think that she just otherwise she would have spat him out earlier? I'm not saying that necessarily, but I do think that Bethany. Again, I think that she. I think it's impossible for her to go slowly with guys because the idea of going slowly with a guy, again, it's terrifying to her because uh, so when I, when I kind of feel into Bethany around men, again, fear comes up. I actually think on a certain level, she's scared of men, you know, and I know that she's mentioned, um, 
I mean, she's talked about it in such a strange way, but I think, was it her stepfather who came on the show? There was some guy where there was violence. And, you know, it was kind of addressed, and I think he apologized. And the way it was presented was kind of like, okay, it's in the past, and we've dealt with it. But it really stuck out to me that apparently there was violence in her household. And the reason I just bring that up is because when I when I kind of feel into Bethany in relationship to a man and really opening up to a man, it, it really is like I'm clutching my chest and I'm scared for my safety. And I just have this feeling like on a deeper level than she might realize, I just think there's a part of her that maybe doesn't feel fully safe with men on that level of like, like that I could get hurt kind of level. And so I think there's a part of her that doesn't want to fully open up all the way. And so instead she does these fast and furious relationships and then they kind of blow up in her face. There's again, there's a chaos to it that keeps her in kind of in control. Is that why in a lot of ways, Dennis Shields was perfect for her. If he had an addiction problem, she would never have to open up. Oh, that was a built in barrier. Yeah, and I mean, uh, that's actually what I was going to say about Jason, too. It's like in the place where we're unconsciously drawing people in who work for us, I mean, how perfect for her that she drew in this guy who has all this undercover rage, you know what I mean, which it's going to ultimately sort of blow up in their faces because it's like then she gets to just completely push him away. You know what I mean? And then it gets to be, again, this three-ring circus of a divorce. I mean, and it gets to confirm all her kind of worst ideas and theories about relationship and how you have to be careful. It's like it totally – if there's a part of Bethany that's really invested in not opening up to men and sort of protecting herself in that way, who better to choose than this guy who from the outside looks like the perfect guy – and then is revealed to be kind of this monster. It's like the perfect narrative for her unconscious fear of truly kind of inviting in a man where she's safe to open up. And I do. I really feel like if she did that, she would have to feel something very vulnerable and scared inside of her. And I, I, I do. I just keep thinking. I, I keep coming back to it. I just think there's all this young fear in her that she is not processed. Do you think the Paul Burnin relationship will last long term oh man well you know i have like hesitation about speaking about this relationship because um i think probably most people who are listening to this know that um, i was very good friends with paul when we were uh, early teens um although i've not spoken to him since then other than a few dms uh, yeah like i just feel it. there's part of me it's like i don't want to speak about their relationship it feels a little weird uh, yeah. well then let me re- let me rephrase it let me make it not about paul okay <laughs> Do you think it's possible for her to be in a a true long-term relationship? That's a really good question. I do, but it's almost like he's not going to have all of her. Do you know what I mean? Like I see her I see her desire for a family unit being strong enough for her to maybe kind of settle into something. But that maybe it's like, you know, there's just a way, you know, like that there's there's resentments that accumulate. There's a way that they get distant with each other. They're, like I see her, I could see her settling into something that works, but maybe isn't like full fire sort of as close and as intimate as it could be long term. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. She she has said she has said actually she said 
um, on season one of The Housewives that she wanted her. It was her intention to have one child and I am an only child. And I wonder, you know, in sort of looking at my mom and looking at Bethany, I wonder if it if that is intentional so that she can always control the situation the way you can't when there's two or more. Mm-hmm. What's so interesting to me, I mean, I don't know why I'm saying this in response to what you just said. There's a way in which it feels connected to me somehow. You know, I did give some thought about in this place where we identify Bethany as this jack of all trades, you know, and she's addicted to the chaos and success for success's sake. I was like, well, let's just say, you know, she, she slows down. She feels some of her fear. <laughs> she lets her, her heart energy run. It's like, how do I see her? Who, who is that version of Bethany? And it's like, what I keep coming back to is, and actually this speaks to the way you really responded to her books as well. I keep coming back to, I, I do feel like this is a woman who really wants to help other women. And I keep getting this sense of like, she's someone who would want to help other women to have it all. Like you can be a really successful businesswoman and in your career, and you can also be a wife and a mother and you can do it all. Um, which is just interesting, right? Because that's been kind of her trajectory of like, can I have it all? I want to have it all. Um, and when I drop into that version of her, it's, it is more like someone who has, for example, kind of a business where she's, you know, teaching women, helping women to have it all, but everything's in its proper place. It's not this (laughs) gigantic lumbering ship with 5,000 moving parts that never ends. It's like, no, these are my work hours. This is my business time. And then when I'm done with business time, it's like I go off to my family and we go to the desert and we have time on our own. And when I, and, and it feels like she actually has a lot of privacy. Like I feel like deep down, Bethany is someone who actually, despite currently this quest for fame, I actually feel she's someone who really wants to have privacy and private space that she can retreat to. So I think I'm just saying all this because when I feel into that that vision of her and having the private space... It does. It feels like a wife and mom. And it actually feels like more than one kid. You know, and it feels like a woman who truly has it all. But, you know, as we've discussed, it feels like it's just really hard for her to actually let herself have all of that because there is a surrender. It's like, so it's basically it's what you're saying. You're saying you feel in her kind of like there's a control mechanism and having one kid and yeah if you even just think of it in terms of the three ring circus it it is it's like you can kind of navigate having one kid amidst this three ring circus that you're kind of holding all together you know by the hairs on your chin but yeah it's it's a different picture than having like a streamlined business that's everything's in its proper place and then we go have private time and there's you know numerous kids and there's a loving husband you know it's it's a very different energy right Mm -hmm. what do you feel from Bethany towards Bryn. Because the truth is, the, 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 there's only one person who's going to become the VP of operations, and that is Bryn Hoppy. Well, she's already consulting her for business I advice. <laughs> this is the heir to the, to the throne. Oh, my God. That was my... I mean, I when I tell you that I practically screamed on Big Shot with Bethany, when she literally is... Was it the first elimination? She's trying to decide uh, who to cut from the first elimination, and she literally wanders into the back room. Calls her ten-year-old daughter for advice on who. Do you think Bryn was on the other line? I do. I really do. <laughs> do you think that was just for show? Yeah. I hope so because otherwise, 
It was insane. It was insane. I get a little worried about her sanities. Like, in the last episode especially, I don't know if she's been talking to the camera the whole time, but in the last no, episode... That no, star- that, started, that started halfway through. Which, by the way, again, just typical of this show. I just love how it's like, there are no rules to this show. I mean, just even on the level that, like, halfway into the show, she's just like, yeah, I'm just bringing some more people in and there's no explanation of where these contestants came from how she found them and they're just like thrown into the mix and my favorite my favorite was in one episode she brings in two new guys at the start of the episode fires both of them by the end of the episode like literally they came in for one episode there was no reason for those guys to even come back okay so there was it she did an interview with i think it's in style i i want to say it's in style and she said in this interview that she shut down production for three days do you remember reading this no but i heard i I know somebody worked on the show and he told me this yeah so she she shut down production for three days to collect her thoughts this was after i guess they had filmed a few episodes and was like okay this is how this is going to go. And I think that's when she decided I want to do the face to camera confessionals, the talking straight to the camera, the in the car ride confessionals. And you know what? That's what made the show entertaining as hell. That's what made it great. I mean, great in quotes. Like, it's not a good show, <laughs> but it was intriguing. It was it was something. I mean, her talking to the camera in that last episode, I, I felt a little bit like I, I'm a little worried for your sanity. Just the way I mean, the the, the after that, like she does this final round of interviews with the three finalists and she's like, I forget exactly what she's saying, but she's saying something. I mean, she's looking at the camera and her hair is just like kind of off the wall and she's in this like sparkly jumpsuit, like dressed to the and she's like look in business you just gotta follow you got and she kind of like slowly stalks down the hallway like talking out loud to no one being like very interesting to see what i'm gonna do and i was just like you you kind of sound like a crazy person it actually reminds me of um so do you know how danielle staub records herself on instagram watching the real housewives of new jersey yes i've seen this yeah it reminds and then there's actually i'm gonna shout out to this brilliant um there's this amazing instagram account joe gun tv where he takes danielle Stobbs instagram live he cuts them so he makes like eight minute versions of them where he's just like skipping from thing to thing to thing and you would sit there and it's like you start to watch it and you're like i sit there i'm like jamie i'm not gonna watch eight minutes of a dan of a recap of danielle Stobb <laughs> recapping real housewives of new jersey and yet it's so enthralling you can't look away but I just say all this because Bethany's sort of talking to the camera. It has that same kind of like subtle lunacy as Danielle Staub recording herself watching these episodes and then like speaking to the camera. I was going to say it had a subtle vibe of Devil Wears Prada. In what way? Uh, Miranda Priestly. Well, I guess let me ask you. I am curious about your thoughts on her return to the show. And just, yeah, your experience of her as Bethany version 2.0. Because I definitely have thoughts about that. The return was greater than the original. It was the rare sequel that superseded the original. Because? She's more complex. The bigger problems. Now she has the kid, the divorce with Jason Hoppy, the storylines that she would bring into the show. She became... Here's why. She became a spectacular producer. She wasn't producing during the first few seasons Mm -hmm. of New York. And I really feel 
that she was a producer during the when she returned particularly around the whole Luann and Tom situation, what she managed to accomplish in season eight, you know, of course it it was Luann who was stepping in all the shit, but just the whole, the, you know, I I was at a bar and, and, you know, I have, I have the photos of the, the thing. It just, it was magic. What she did was magic when she returned. And I think if she used her powers for good, it would maybe be to, Produce, I mean, I guess that's what the big shot with Bethany is, but it's got to be something else where she can still star in because she is such that entertainer, <laughs> but she has such this producer mind. I mean, I really feel like as much as we all made fun of the way Big Shot with Bethany was produced, that's like the only if it's the only reason that we stuck with it and were as sort of mystified by it until the end but like who knows what would it have been i mean that's the thing i mean again you're speaking to what drives me crazy about her because it's like yeah right so there is this part of her i think that's an interesting idea that maybe could be a great producer but then like i was saying at the beginning she gets in her own way because her need to be at the center of everything i mean that's part of what makes big shot with bethany so unhinged like going back to donald trump look donald trump at least with the celebrity apprentice he knew to make himself scarce. He came in, he introduced the task. You don't see him until the boardroom. You know what I mean? And then he comes in and it's like, he, you know, he has his moment and it's dramatic. Bethany was everywhere at all times. Like she's introducing the assignment. She's the star of the assignment. She's like, you know, deliberating. And then meanwhile, we're getting like interviews with her in the car. And then we're seeing her call Dorinda. I mean, Bethany could not get enough of herself. And I just walking down the walking down the runway in Balmain. Oh my God. And not only that, but I mean, things that don't even make sense where she's getting driven from one location to the next. And yet, even though she was chauffeured and presumably dropped off right outside the Soho loft, instead we have to get the dramatic shot of her walking down the sidewalk. You know what I mean? To reach the door. None of it made any sense. And I just felt like it was, it was so unhinged precisely in large part because Bethany had to be there every step of the way and to be involved. And so, yeah, did the show become a kind of compelling reflection of Bethany's inner landscape, which is just total insanity and chaos? And again, like, is there a kind of unlikely success in magic that happens there? Yes, it's fascinating. But who knows what this could be if she were actually willing And again, I'll kind of bring in my greater metaphor to like put things in their proper place, (laughs) to create some space for herself, to create some privacy within the show, not be everywhere all at once and not have to be the producer and the star, which is what I think she was doing on Roni. Yes. I mean, I think it definitely was like a love letter to her own narcissism. Oh, for sure. But but I think feel like she sees this as a way to kind of have it all. She doesn't have to bring up the personal stuff. She's able to be private on this. She doesn't have to, you know, bring in her relationship and all that other nonsense that she didn't want, she was didn't want to have to do that on Roni. This was the way out. But I I didn't want to go too far off your thoughts on Bethany's return to housewife. I think it's so interesting that you're helping me to get clear. It's like, it's that same thing, right? So I talked about how in the first iteration of Bethany and Roni, there was a way in which she kind of played the underdog, but also felt superior to the other women. And it's almost like the more evolved version of that when she came back was, 
I'm on this show, but I'm also secretly producing it. And there's a way in which she, again, was above the other women once again. And so it's interesting when I hear you say you liked that she played producer, that was one of the things that was driving me crazy about her. I don't, I don't like it when they play producer. I don't like it when Lisa Vanderpump does it. I don't even really like it when Kyle does it. So I just think that's sort of really interesting that no matter where she is in her life, there's kind of this way that she allows herself. She's like kind of in the trenches, but there's always this way that she's a little bit more knowledgeable, a little bit above everyone. I don't like it. But the major, major thing that I saw with her the second time around that was so jarring to me and really kind of disappointing to me was she got cruel in a way that I never saw her be cruel in the first three seasons. So like when she went- Are you talking about Sonia? I was actually talking about like when she went after Luann. Um, oh, when she oh. just like went off on her at the Berkshires and sort of took this delight and caught like slut shaming her. Um, even just oh. the breakdown of her friendship with Carol, the way she mm-hmm. navigated that, there was so much cruelty, the age shaming. She never got that way with Jill, you know, when they had their falling out. And it, it was really striking to me. It's like, even the way she played the Greek chorus, there was just a way that it felt, I felt flavors of cruelty in her the second time around. And I, I, I didn't like that about her. I sense the cruelty towards Sonia because Luann is abroad. Luann can take it. Luann knows it's a joke and that it's for the show. Sonia is a fragile, has a fragile mind and a fragile being. And I felt, I mean, Sonia erupted in tears when she went after Sonia. Are we talking, is this around the tipsy girl thing? Yeah. Because I was totally on Bethany's side with I'm I'm like the only person who was on Bethany's side with this. I think Sonia is a viper. Mm. I think there's a reason why Whoa. she lost a lawsuit for $7 million. I mean, have you read about that? About what she did? Tell me. I mean, she committed fraud. I mean, she she duped mm. these people out of their money. And then when they tried to, like, come for her, she literally laughed in their faces and tried to sort of threaten them. I mean... It was bad. It was bad. And I think that Sonia is like a wolf in sheep's clothing. I mean, look, we saw everything we needed to see in season five. The way that she treated Heather, who was trying to help her with her toaster, that to me is the real Sonia. And I think she hides behind this sort of flaky good time girl. And I I just want to say, like, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, when she unveiled the cheater brand, which is what it was, kind of aping off Bethany's success... that's one of the few times where I was like, Bethany, you fucking go. Like, you tell her. Like, if that were me, if I were an ensemble cast and I had built something and it was mine, and then one of my fellow cast members, like, literally just ripped it off after. But you got to keep in mind, Bethany had, like, helped Sonia that entire season Mm -hmm. and brought her into, like, her meetings and was actually going out of her Oh, by the way, ding, ding, ding. That's, you know, speaking to my vision of Bethany as someone who wants to help women have it all. But, um, and even just the fact that I'm Big Shot with Bethany, like, the three finalists were women. And they, two of them were, like, these single moms. I I agree with what I'm saying. I think there's something in here that really wants to help other women. But, um, yeah, for, for Sonia to go do that and not, here's the thing. If Sonia had wanted to go to Bethany and just be like, look, I'm doing this thing. Can I get your blessing or whatever? But to like hide it and then to play dumb. I, I, I agree with Beth. It's offensive. It's offensive. And I just, I, I was on her side. I was on her side. And I, mm. I, I felt like, go, you, this is the place 
<laughs> you advocate for yourself and you let her know this isn't okay. But maybe it's just triggering something in me. Well, no, I mean, I, I think I saw the whole tipsy girl thing as like a joke. Like it was never going to be anything. It was, it was a storyline for the show. So I felt like Bethany like dialed it up to a 15 where like she really should have just gone at like an eight. I mean, I do think that Bethany. Like it very... wasn't a real. It wasn't. It was never going to be a real threat because Sonia doesn't have the ability to create like a hugely successful thing. I don't think it's about it being a threat. I don't think that Bethany was like threatened by it. I just think she was mm-hmm. deeply insulted that her cast member, mm-hmm. her friend, again, one whom she was helping, stole her her business idea. Basically, I yeah. mean, it's it's, a, it's I don't yeah. know. For me, it's a shitty thing to do. I I. I Maybe I'm oversensitive to this too, but you know, also remember how, I mean, and again, to me, I kind of roll my eyes, but remember how sensitive Bethany was to Dorinda kind of being sort of disdainful of her success on one of those trips. I mean, this stuff, Bethany is very sensitive when it comes to her work and her business and, and the things that have made her successful. So to I don't know, I bought it, but maybe, maybe she was dialing it up for the sake of the, the show. I don't know. Yeah. So as far as her being a producer though, when you see, because it's one thing to be a producer. Okay, so Bethany's going to produce a show. She's going to bring the receipts about Luann and Tom on the show. You know, to a certain degree, I can kind of respect your game in that. Like, you're on a reality show. Let's do it. But the way that she then, and I guess this speaks to my original point about what I experience as her disingenuousness. Her clutching the bottle of vodka and shedding the crocodile tears as she does yeah. it. Like, for you as a yeah. Bethany, because I will just say, as someone who's ambivalent about Bethany, when I watch that, like, my eyes cannot be rolling far enough back in my head. And I'm just like, look, Bethany, you know what you're doing. Like, just do it and own it. This little play you're acting out right now, it just, it's so, first of all, it just feels beneath her. It feels like so immature, but it's also just dumb. So I want to hear, what do you have to say about this? I mean, listen, do we not send that meme like a few times a week? Well, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was it's it's at the time it's what it needed to be. So, I mean, what I really hear you saying, basically, and I guess this is how I am, for example, with Vicky Gumbelson. You see all these warts. You just for whatever reason, there's something in her in in the whole picture, the good, the bad, the ugly, the tomfoolery, the chicanery of it all that you just find really appealing and compelling. And you just you're along for the ride wherever it goes. I'm along for the ride wherever it goes, it's so, even if it's off a bridge. <laughs> right. It's so interesting to me. It's like and that is the fundamental question. It's like, what is it in the different parts of us that make us kind of have an affinity for one person? You know, because, look, I'm on an island. People are shocked and offended when they find out how deeply I have a soft spot for Vicky Gumbelson. And yet I, yeah. she is the only housewife I would watch a spinoff of. Like I, I will, I will watch Vicky Gumbel, anything Vicky Gumbelson's connected to, I'm going to watch. Yeah. Like when I'm thinking like, okay, something too, too far or too annoying. One of the rare times, if I really paid attention, I'm sure I could make a list of like five times I was annoyed by Bethany. One of those times was when she wore that, rolling with my snow means oh my god that was so bad that was she see here she committed a crime she was unfunny and she was sticking to an unfunny joke and trying to sell it like i don't know why she had to do that and was so out of touch that was a real miss (laughs) that was like embarrassing 
it was embarrassing because I remember that scene. She kept saying, do you get it? Do you get it? As if it were some clever, subtle joke that wasn't immediately apparent mm-hmm. to anyone who's like remotely aware of pop culture. I mean, that was inex- inexplicable. There, I mean, there is this part of Bethany that uh, is really out of touch. It's really fascinating. Or even just the way on Big Shot with Bethany, she kept saying things like, everyone thinks working for me is just like a barrel of laughs and total fun. And I'm just sitting there like, what? Like, who? Who are these mythical people you think think working for you is going to be like a nonstop party and fun? Can we talk about her Instagram presence? Okay. I don't follow her, but sure. I mean, are you aware that she Instagram storied, or at the time, I think it was Snapchat. It was something she storied Cookie's cookies, death. Cookie's death. I was going to ask you about that. So, yeah, how do you square that as a Bethany fan? That was that, that was <laughs> Bethany at her worst, but it was still on brand. Right. I would want to ask her about that. Was that one of those moments where you're like, this is almost too much for me? That was too much. I remember where I was when I was watching <laughs> Cookie's death. I remember I was in a car. And I was watching it and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't stop talking about it. And just like the constant filming of food that we know she's not eating. Follow, Just take a peek, peek in to her story oh, content. Well, I, and I would love to get some thoughts. I also loved on Big Shop with Bethany where there was some sort of little like, you know, interstitial scene they were doing where basically she was like, I mean, people are asking me all the time, Bethany, how do you tell when an avocado is ripe? And I was just sitting there like... <laughs> really are people really dming bethany asking her how can you tell when an avocado is right like wouldn't they just google that i mean i just it was so strange to me i don't or believe... ask a friend exactly like bethany? <laughs> like bethany frankel i just her version of reality i don't fully trust and this is the place where i start to get a little worried about her mental illness her mental health but i will say like when i hear you see this see this is where we diverge right because you start talking about her moments where she's really out of touch and that she almost loses you and as we talk about it i actually start to get affectionate towards her there because i'm like yeah it is sort of weird and crazy and then that i can kind of get into because at least it's so out there that i can kind of find it interesting and sort of have a soft spot for her vulnerability so for me it's almost like Maybe I'd be more prone to have an affinity for Bethany if she continued to lean in to the places where she's just completely out of touch and divorced from reality. And yeah, if she keeps making these kind of like insane shows that just reflect her own inner chaos, I mean, I'll be there. She's always she's always filming like when she's in the Hamptons and she if she's like parked her car at like at a restaurant, she'll always film other cars like license plates and all and show all the like the fancy cars and she'll write some like really not funny text on top of it but she's done this like five times i mean that's the thing about bunthini she's actually it's so strange because there's a wit she has but she's also spectacularly unfunny yes there is there is a what she does in confessionals and i remember listening to an interview with one of the producers of real housewives of new york and they were saying how in the when she's sitting down for the confessionals bethany they said quote bethany speaks in paragraphs like she's able to just churn out the one liners it's just like whereas teresa literally has lines written for her like anything she says in a confessional has been written for her and she is she asks them how do you want me to say it so there is that brilliance there 
there is this an improvisational brilliance, but then then she just also flops. I mean, listen, everyone's going to have their flop era, but like, I, I just wish she wouldn't flop. <laughs> I think this is what I'm going to say. I feel like my kind of takeaway from this is that I think that, they, yeah, there's a spark of something that Bethany genuinely has. I think in the place where she doesn't want to tolerate her own fear and her own kind of a lack of a sense of safety, she's all over the place all the time. And I feel like that lack of discernment and that lack of kind of refinement and that need to kind of, yeah, have it all, all going all the time and to be the star of everything all at once. It's like, it reminds me of this phrase. It's like a stretch versus a splatter. I think she splatters. And so, yeah, she splattered her way into success and she splattered her way into like something that's a combination of talent and grit and timing and luck but it's kind of this chaotic tornado and i think that if she were actually willing to to practice some level of discernment of refinement of boundaries in her life and if she were willing to feel her fear and to slow down and to feel some of this deep vulnerability that i think scares the shit out of her i actually think it would provide the kind of structure she would need for that spark that she does have to find some sort of artistic expression. Yeah. All right, Jess. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and jumping into all things, Bethany. Uh, People should definitely check out your podcast, hot takes and deep dives. And, you know, for anyone who's not familiar with it, it's just like a really kind of cool New York podcast. You definitely, uh, you touch base with a lot of like bravo liberties you've had kyle cook on and carl and and lindsey hubbard recently and uh you also kind of it has kind of a throwback flair to it too so i know recently like had isaac mizrahi and rosie o'donnell and kind of like these people who yeah were really big 10 15 20 years ago and are certainly still successful um is there anything else you would want to kind of say about it yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to capture like a sort and a sort of uh memory of what it what it really felt like to to be gay in the early 2000s, um, you know, that that was when I came out and those were really my formative years. You know, when I graduated high school into my years of college, um, those were my most formative years. So I am draw- very drawn to the people who were such figures at that time. And it's interesting to, like, look back and, like, see how much we all it seems like we all really remember, like, what the music that was out, you know, Britney and Justin and like. There were really were these tent poles of pop culture, so I lean very heavily into that. Okay, great. And anywhere else people should find you, social media? Instagram is JessXNYC. Okay, great. As always, you guys can follow me on Instagram, Jamie Stein, J-A-M-I-E-S-T-E-I-N. I have all sorts of Bravo-related content and other types of content, too, sometimes. And uh, if you're kind of interested in the work I do, head over to my website, www.hollywoodreadings.com As always, thank you for joining me and I will see you guys next time. Bye.